Um, so Grace and Bob, come on up and join us. Yes, yes, give them a hand. You guys have heard me tell you about the time that I was in a crowded gym. There was a tournament happening, and somebody came and sat down next to me and was like, Angie, why do you play so small? Because only a therapist can dive that deep that fast. That's Bob's fault. Bob did that. You can applaud him. <laughs> it really was one of the most important questions that I've ever been confronted with, honestly. I, I'm not being dramatic. It really was. I needed that. You guys, we, we have to have somebody who's willing to be that intrusive, right? Do you have a keep out sign on your life's door? Take it down. All right. Okay, so why don't we just get started by you guys telling us just a little bit about yourself. I know you're kind of like a fixture now, but <laughs> but go ahead and tell us anyway. Oh, there we go. Um, I'm Grace, and oh my gosh, I love you guys so much. Like, I walked in, and I'm like, oh, it's so brilliant here. Love this place. Um, I live in Topeka. Um, married to Ryan. Have two kids. Bailey's thirteen. Isaac is eleven. I homeschool. I work at Christ First Counseling Center as a marriage family therapist, and I love it, love it, love it. And I love people, and I love Jesus, and that's my story. All right, good story, Bob. Okay. Um, I am married to Kathy. Very excited. I've got a kid exiting college and a kid exiting our house, which leaves us empty nest. Some people are sad. I am not. Uh, so this is a really exciting time. Um, Co-founder of Restored Counseling Services in Topeka. And um, really glad to be here with you guys today. That was incredible worship. Oh, loved it. Yes. Thank you. Yes, I know. It makes a big difference. <laughs> and you guys know Vince. <laughs> so why we brought them in is because, we, I mean, you guys know full well where we're at. We're in this, this place of restoration where Jesus is promising to break down our doors, right? Like he is not going to leave us in the same state that we've been in over the last bit of time. Yes, yes, I, I know, painful, painful. We don't even want to look at it, but here we are. He is wanting to touch every part of us because like we've discussed, there is more glory on its way and we cannot hold it with the mess that is on our insides. So we brought in experts. <laughs> we brought in experts to tell us. A, uh, yeah, that's totally meant. <laughs> we, we brought in experts <laughs> to tell us a little bit more about ourselves and, and maybe why it is that, that we shy away from pain and um, maybe even a little bit more about fear. But we do. We've got questions even for them. So um, let's just get started. You guys, what keep, keeps us from freedom? What? Ourselves. Okay. Um, I think the first thing is we simply don't think it's available. 
I mean, I think if we get to the to our heart of hearts and we really get down into it, I don't know that we really think freedom is available. And I was just, man, I had such a powerful experience here this morning. I was, as we were beginning to worship, I could just see um, God, I could see Jesus kind of walking around this building. Um, and okay, sure, I would want to walk around the building if we were worshiping too. But it was so incredible as we went on, uh, like you could see that he was dressed and ready to war for us. To the point where there was like literally dust getting kicked up in the parking lot. There was concrete getting shredded. And I was like, oh, you you want to war for our freedom. Like you really care that much that you want to go after those places that are keeping us from that. So I think just honoring the idea that it's available. Which I think leads us to how are we posturing ourselves? If we believe, if we begin to believe that this is available, what then does that mean for our posture in this in this place? What's that mean in our posture in our marriage? What's that mean in our posture in life with our kids? All of the different intricacies, like young people, what is your posture towards the life that is ahead of you? And what, what is it that the Father is continually coming at you with? What is his desire for you? Because it is available. It is available. It's easy to believe the lie that it's not. We're told that it's not over and over and over hundreds of times a day. But we recognize, okay, if this is available, therefore, what is my response to it? What is my posture? Oh, I love that. Okay, so... If you have questions, Vince, please just interrupt me because I'll just keep babbling. <laughs> okay. Okay. What? Oh, do you? Okay. Excellent. I'll give you too much permission. Um, <laughs> how does proximity, like in, in your experience working with people, how does proximity with the Father affect our idea of freedom? We're off-roading now. I really like that. This is the first thing that popped into my mind. Sometimes, I don't know if any of you have ever found your, yourself in this place, and I don't know if this is where you're going, but this is, I, I think this is important. So do you ever find yourself in this place where you're continuing to do the things that you're doing and you aren't necessarily, you don't necessarily know why you're doing them, but this is what we do. And we may know this isn't life-giving. This is based in this choice or this decision. This is based in fear. This is not what I'm wanting to do. And so then what happens when we get 10 feet away from that situation, then we're able to see more clearly. A lot of times, if we're away from the situation, we can take a step back from it. It's like, oh my goodness, look at those things that I was doing over and over and over again because I was caught up in it. I was in this cycle, however you want to say that. Um, and I think a lot of times it's, it's removing ourselves from whatever that situation is, whatever that habit is, whatever that, whatever that is, and then being able to look at it in a different way, quote, going back to the first question, posturing ourselves, knowing how to posture ourselves, having the people and the community in our life to assist us to posture ourselves. So that was that's good. Immediately, what I thought. What do you think? Yeah. 
she nail it? <laughs> she stuck the landing. <laughs> how do we know how to posture ourselves? Sorry, you ran us right into this. <laughs> well, I think that one of the things that we can think about is knowing we, we know how to not posture ourselves. <laughs> We know how to not posture ourselves because we know what doesn't, it's like, we, we know, we know when, when we do stupid things. <laughs> we just do, right? And so I heard it say, I heard it said one time, it's like this whole idea of change, right? The, the pain of change, you can look at it like the pain of continuing to do the same thing over and over and over again versus the pain of the process of change. And I think that that's the, that's the invitation that the father continually puts before us. Oh my gosh, son, daughter, you are invited to this change, to this consecration, to, and because he is, he's in the parking lot, he's stirring up the dust, he's warring for us, he's here ready, right? And I, I think that that ultimately plays a role in whatever the question you asked me was. How do we posture ourselves? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love that picture. I mean, that is such a, an awesome vision to, to have. I mean, anybody else moved by that? But I, I mean, I, I think that so often we think about, uh, we, we get scared when we think about restoration because it means he has to look at my junk. Well, this is like the age-old lie, right? It's like Adam and Eve trying to hide in the garden from God. But we can look at that and go like, that's stupid, you can't, I mean, it's like playing hide and seek with a, a five-year-old. They don't hide well, and, and God can see through our hiding places. And so I'm not sure why we're so afraid of that. So what, give us shame, right? Like shame plays such a huge role in us holding God back and saying, you know, this far, but don't come any further kind of thing, because we think that we can hide his, our junk from him. And so tell, t talk about that. Just talk about shame. I'm going to say one thing. Does he not desire to be in our stuff with us? Does he not desire to be in the muck and the mire? Does he not desire to know every single part of you? If you don't understand, if you don't believe that part, then it makes the work on the other side of it not, uh, it, it's a, it's exhausting. Because it makes you dependent on your actions. Or it makes the whole thing dependent on then your, your, your works. If, if you don't understand that he's so in love with you, then you're, you're out of luck from the beginning. Because does he not desire to be in all of it? Well, psychobabble for your soul, just so you keep this in mind. Guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is I am something wrong. That's good. Say it again. So guilt is I did something wrong. We're in and out of it. Shame is I am something wrong. The way you'll know the difference is um, however you struggle today, let's just say something bad happens, you find yourself in sin, you'll know that you're walking in guilt and freedom, I would say, because you come out of the hard place and you enter back into intimacy with him quickly. 
Shame is when you're there for a day or two or five or ten. And it was it was a real special moment for me. This is probably a better part of a decade ago. I grew up a uh, single mom, a lot of poverty. Uh, we didn't have much. Uh, watched my mom cry herself to sleep multiple times a week and, because uh, she couldn't pay the bills, couldn't put food on the table. A child support was simply not what it is today. And so this moment of restoration, Jesus is standing at the door of our trailer. And um, the way I'm picturing this is it's just dirty uh, inside of our house. And uh, Jesus is looking in from the outside. He's incredibly beautiful, incredibly clean. We're not. And I remember the first thing I said to Jesus is, hi, you don't want to come in here. Um, and so uh, I'm, I'm in that moment. All of a sudden, he's in the living room, but he's still polished white. And I, and I, I start to plead with him, please get out of here. This is, it is too dirty for you to come in here. And, and really what was represented was just my shame in the moment. And I kid you not, the most beautiful moment of my life where shame began to unshackle is he simply took his hand and started rubbing it around and making himself as dirty as we were. Because he, just like Grace said, he wants to be in it with us. And in shame, you don't think he's there, but he is. He is. And he's dying to walk you out if you're willing to allow him. He really wants to walk you out if you're willing to allow him. But what you over time and in time get comfortable with is you've sat with shame so long, you don't know what it would be like to feel free. I call it sabotaging yourself. I'll see people walk 90 days out of addiction and day 91, they're back in it because they're actually much more comfortable in the filth than they are the freedom if they've walked in it for a long, long time. Uh, that, this, that's really good. Uh, and when I'm listening to you talking about freedom and, and, and shame, I, I started thinking about containment. And you mentioned sabotage. And one of the things that when we've talked about containment is it's something that we know we're in, we're trying to break out of. But in your mentioning sabotage, it, it got me thinking about how we are comfortable with containment. And a lot of times, rather than uh, allowing Jesus to to come in, we, we hold on to that containment. We will we'll hold the container door shut to to keep him out and and, and not let him in. And, and so it, it's a great picture. And I hope everybody is is really taking hold of what they're what they're offering to you today, and, and this invitation to actually step into more freedom. If, if you've already seen yourself starting to walk in a measure of freedom, there is more beyond that. And so I hope you're grabbing hold of this invitation that they're opening up for you today. I think the thing that comes to mind just listening to you isn't containment, something, it's a it's a lie we believe, right? It, it, we're comfortable there. We're so comfortable because it's what we know, it's what we understand, it's our experiences, it's, I mean, so many different uh, 
parts of our life. I mean, this is what we do, and this is how this works, and this is this, and this is this friendship, and this is this interaction, blah, 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 all of that kind of stuff, right? But I know you know Angie, and I know you know her message, and I know what she's been saying for a long time. We we can't be comfortable in in something that there, there's more. There's more available. There's more available. There's more available. And so what's it look like for us to uh, allow the layers like either pop out of the box that we have ourselves contained into or or like Shrek and the onion and donkey and it's like letting peeling back the layers of our life. I think that's the continual. There's no conquering ourselves. It's just the continued invitation of of inviting the father to know us and us knowing the father. Right. That's really good. Okay. Um, how do you move around determined fear, and I'll break this down, when Jesus is wanting to come in and bring restoration? And, and Bob was like, can you help me understand that? Um, what Determined fear to me is like, I can't open this door because everything from 100 years is going to come falling out on me and I'm going to be buried. Anybody? 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 Yeah. <laughs> like you're, you're, you, you feel like your, your life is such a mess that there's just no possible way of even beginning because you'll just be drowning in that. So how, how would you guys um, advise people to begin to move around fear? Because fear's a, fear's a liar, right? But convincible or convincing rather. So. Well, maybe a couple. Okay. So I think that this, and this is something that I learned from you a long, long time ago. And I think this plays a role in it. And so I want to offer this. It's the decisions that we make when we're looking at our story, when we're quote unquote, looking at the closed closet, when we're looking at all of this stuff, um, how you even think about it before you begin to open it up is important to consider. And what I would offer is you're going to have a posture of fear. You're going to have a posture of love. Are you, the fear-based decision is what versus the loved-based decision is what? And so if love, lo- love often looks very hard. Love looks like having hard conversations. Love looks like pursuing um hard relationships. Love looks like setting boundaries. Love looks like saying no. Love looks like not being necessarily responsible for another person's response. And and so even before you begin to open up the door, what is motivating you towards the door? Is it love or is it fear? And go. <laughs> <laughs> We haven't opened the door yet. So if you open the door, what happens next? <laughs> um, I've been thinking a lot about fear lately. I've been sitting in a chair as a therapist now for about 15 and a half years, almost 16. Um, Post-COVID, I've never seen uh, stories like I've seen in the last three years. So pre-COVID was one thing. Post-COVID, there's just a there's a heavier presence going on right now. And I think we've got to keep in mind just Isaiah 61, his mission on earth. I came to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. Brokenhearted in the Hebrew is Leb Shabar, and that is shattered places. Talked about seven times in Isaiah. 
like a shattered pot or a shattered twig. And what he's saying is, I came not to throw that away and give you a new one. I came to restore what was broken. I came to restore what was broken. And um, I'm, I'm a Lord of the Rings Hobbit nerd. And um, there's a beautiful moment in Hobbit, if you haven't seen it, it's worth the time, where ultimately they're going to shoot the dragon with an arrow. Uh, but in order to shoot this last arrow, the only arrow that can penetrate this dragon, uh, they are the, the, the son. The dad has to use the son's shoulder because he's because everything's broke down. He's ultimately going to pull that off using the son's shoulder in order to go to the dragon. But here's the moment. I mean, the dragon is behind the son swirling and going nuts. And the father is saying to the son, you've got to keep your eye on me. You've got to keep your eye on me. And culturally right now, culture is making millions of dollars off of our fear. They're making millions of dollars off of our field. They are solidifying my job as a therapist for a long, long time. And, and if we take our eyes off of the Father and you start to pay too much attention to this world, it just gets dark quickly. And frankly, I think it gets dark quicker than it did four or five years ago, probably 20 years before that. So it is so critical right now in order for us to not live in fear that amidst, you know, as the enemy continues to turn up the sound, We've got to be be paying more attention. We've got to be walking in more intimacy with our Heavenly Father. And with that, essentially what that means is you have to move towards your stuff. You have to move towards the closet. You have to move towards the Father in the process of restoration, whatever that looks like. Because we know I'm the alternative the alternative isn't something we can afford to do. And it's not what we are designed to do. It's not what we are called to do. And it's not our posture. I don't know about you guys. I'm getting ruined over here. Anyone else? This is so good. So good. Okay. Um, how do we move beyond the posture of flirting with obedience while serving temptation? How do we move beyond the posture of flirting with obedience while serving temptation as it relates to restoration? Obviously, we love delay. We love to delay things. It's interesting within obedience is intimacy. One of the things I wrote down, Angie sent the questions. I just spent some time with the father one morning and I wrote, how much easier it is to believe the lies of the enemy than to listen to the voice of the father. There are, there are spots in your life where he, uh, he isn't giving you territory around your mind. So he just, he's been studying mankind though for 2000 years. He tosses out lies and then he sees if we grab a hold. And if you grab a hold, then he hits the gas pedal. And so when we, when we're thinking about obedience and we're thinking about temptation, I'll always use the acronym BEEPS. This, um, 
all of our life comes down to attachment. You are designed to attach to the Father in community. But if you don't attach well to the Father in community, you'll attach to this acronym BEEPS. Behaviors, experiences, events, people, or substances. Okay? You were designed for attachment. You want to attach. It's 24 hours for you. But when you don't, then you attach yourself to something that's not the Father and is not your community. And attachment runs really, really strong. And it's a conduit for something to come to you. So for me, I have a long history of addiction through my 20s. I meet Jesus when I'm 21, but I don't escape addiction and really until my mid-30s. Uh, because, you know, I, I, this isn't the right way to say it, but it's almost like the addiction saved me at a time when I really wanted to just off myself, to be honest with you. And the father would come rescue, but I would be afraid to trust him enough. And I would choose the addiction over choosing him for a long, long time, even after I met him. Uh, and then as you begin to walk in obedience, that's actually where the freedom is. But if you grew up not wanting to obey authority, which was me, uh, and then especially when I'm 21 and now something called God is going to tell me what to do, so I'm worse off than I was before I met him, uh, I didn't realize that within the obedience is the intimacy that was available. Within the obedience is where the intimacy is, and everything else will fall short. It's his kindness. It's his kindness. So another question is just popping up in my mind. And, and I think that we've touched on this a, a little bit here over the last few months. But, but we know that in, in David's story, King David's story, you know, prior to him, you know, really taking the throne, that um, Saul, Saul uses him, right? Like God sends a tormenting spirit to agitate Saul, and he uses David's gift of worship to soothe that thing. Um, and so I'm just wondering, like, what what would you guys say about that? Because I see this happening in our church cultures, where um, there's really a tormenting that's going on, especially in our mental capacity, and we're using worship not to give worth, but to soothe something on our insides. What would you guys say to that? I think I'm curious when when that is the case when when that is the case when we do these things and this is what we're finding peace in or satisfaction in or whatever I I would offer that every single one of us will come to a point where we're going to either figure it out. This is what we're going to do. And that's what you're going to continue to do, or you're going to know there's more available. And I think when, if, if you recognize that there's more available, that, that what you're doing is not satisfying, then you're going to continue to pursue life or more, right? You're going to continue, you're, you're going to work to foster intimacy 
in that piece. Or you're going to be satisfied with reading your devotional or going to church on Sunday or doing this group or that group. I, I don't, I don't know. I think that's such a profound question. And I think that there, at the end of the day, there's always, always, always more available. And we know, we know full well that God has been very clear that he's tearing down high places that we have called worship and he's calling idolatry. And so I, I think that, that what, what I'm getting to is like, how can we transform this facade of worship into something that, that creates intimacy? Because clearly there's something that is, is tormenting the, the mind in these spaces. And I mean, anybody ever done this? Where you're like, you know, I don't want to deal with life, so I'm going to check out and I'm going to use worship to do it. And so I think that it's become somewhat habitual in our Christian culture to just turn on worship and think that we're okay. That that's somehow because it does soothe something, right? It's supposed to. Mm -hmm. But we're using it rather rather than using it to, to offer worth to the Lamb of God, right? We're using it to to attempt to mask something within us. Is that helpful? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's kind of like, it's, I think it's the invitation to keep moving. It's the invitation to keep moving forward. Just as Bob talked about how this is the addiction that in a way rescued me from killing myself. I mean, when does God ever do things the, the way we think we understand? He doesn't. That's the beauty of it. We're not supposed to. We aren't going to figure it out. We aren't going to put it in a box. We, we, God doesn't fit in a box. I mean, and so I think that sometimes in our best attempt to soothe ourselves, we're going to say, well, this is what I'm going to do because this is what makes me feel better. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But that's not the end. That's not the end. We were talking earlier last week, and I think, you know, the the narrow the narrow road. What is the narrow road? Is that intimacy with the Father? Does that make sense? Does it fit? Yeah. I'd say yes. <laughs> it's intimacy with the Father for sure. I mean, without it, we we don't we don't have a foundation. You know, I think that that we have we have grown satisfied without the intimacy. We've learned to play church rather than be the church. And to be the church, you have to be offering, ascribing worth. And I love it that you said we're designed to attach. We're designed to attach. That's what we do. But the same is true that we are designed to worship. We are releasing worship all day long, no matter what. You've heard me say this. And so it's just a matter of what has our affection. Right. What would you add? I need to use this one. Apparently, this one isn't picking up online. So, um, you mentioned culture a minute ago, and one of the things we've been talking about is is our influence. And um, a big theme we've had from the very beginning here is oneness. So we share oneness, and um, in in that oneness, we can use our influence on culture. Uh, so, what would you offer up? in that regard, if, if we're trying to restore all things, and I know this is a broad topic, like we mentioned earlier, but, um, using influence to affect that culture that is, uh, really pushing people towards fear. How can we influence that? 
Uh, if you look, a, a mission, part of the mission statement of my life is just simply to bring light into dark places. Uh, I, I think some of us are, we've sold ourselves that we have, uh, I come from Southern Baptist, so bear with me as this is um, a new context for me. So, um, but the idea is that we're, that I hear all the time is, well, you have to evangelize in order to bring light into dark places. No, you need to simply give a cold cup of water. Matthew talks about that. And so I think right now, what we're at a deficit of and why we stand out so much is if you bring joy. Uh, they're, 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 they're simply, I've never seen a time, you know, 47 years old, I've never seen a time where we stand out so much in culture. And w- the way I think we stand out is with joy. The way I think we can calm fear is with joy. Joy is confusing to the culture right now. Uh, not, not excitement, not, not dopamine hits, not something fun and in the moment, but joy. When you walk into a room and you know somebody has joy, don't you just want to spend time with them? Like, you don't even need to talk. I'll just sit by you. Because <laughs> it's going to rub off somehow on me just as I sit here. So I, I, I see that. We, we were talking on the way up here. I think, I think getting back to kind of on your question too is so many believers were just walking in the shallows right now. Like there's so much depth available with the Father, but we choose the shallows. And what does it mean for us to just stay in our prayer closet? It's almost like, like, be stubborn. Stay there until you get the intimacy. And then come back and do it again. And and I think over time and in time, we, we get the intimacy quicker, which then means I think we impact culture when we go out. That's real good. Okay, so I was listening to a teaching last night, and, and I love that you brought up a, a dragon earlier, Bob, but I was listening to a teaching last night, and, and he was drawing attention to the fact that the enemy first showed up as a snake in the garden, and then at the other end of the book, he's a full-on dragon. And, and the question was, how have you been feeding that snake to turn into a dragon? And so I think that this is something that, that we as the church haven't necessarily looked at is how am I actually feeding the enemy with my agreement with who he says that I am? We, we spend so much time talking about identity that, that Jesus is handing out, but I think that we need to start paying attention to what identity is the enemy handing out that we're buying, that we're buying into and growing him because we should have had a defeated enemy. He was defeated from the foundation of the earth, right? We know that the Lamb of God was slain at the foundation of the earth. So the enemy was defeated. Then it has been the body of Christ. It has been God's spoken offspring that has fed him to the point of moving from snake to dragon. And so I, I think that that if we can, and that's not like me trying to, you know, heap shame or anything like that, or, or even pointing towards like feel guilty about that. Just mindful. Let's be mindful of what our actions are actually feeding. There, there is, there is a, a kingdom, the kingdom of heaven that is supposed to be advancing, but there is also systems of darkness that we are, we are accidentally feeding by not being mindful about what it is that that we're feeding ourselves, what it is that that we're believing, what it is that that we are spewing 
You know, there, there is constantly something coming out of us because we are made to communicate. And so I don't know. I don't know if you guys have anything to, to add to that or say to that. I think what I'm hearing is, so we have a heart of worship. You you have to have a heart of worship. You have to be in tune with worship. You I'm worship. I mean, when if your posture back to postures, right? If your posture is that of worship, if your posture is that of the continued conversation with Holy Spirit in the back of your head throughout the whole entire day, inviting Him to laugh with you when you do silly or stupid things. Mostly silly things. Mostly I do stupid things too. Yes. <laughs> but can you take a step back? Can you be like, oh my gosh, Jesus, do you see this thing I'm doing right here? <laughs> Does he not want to be in the muck and mire? Does he not, is he not so in love with every single piece and part of you that it does, you, you can't help but be transformed and, tra- and, and changed. And so then I think when, when that intimacy is established or when that is fostered and it's invited to grow and transform you, you, it makes the awareness of the snake and the dragons in your life a whole lot easier because you know, all right, so here it is right here. And here's the piece. When we go back to vulnerability, vulnerability will win. Vulnerability will win. Vulnerability is like the invitation to get over ourselves, right? the invitation to call your friend and say, oh my gosh, I'm a hot mess, right? Will you enter into this with me? Because we also were designed for attachment and we were designed for relationship with people. You have to have people in your life as you walk this out, as you understand the snake dragon, as you understand what you're feeding. When, when we keep stuff hidden away, when it's shrouded in darkness, there's no light that can shine on it. Therefore, it can't heal. But when we are vulnerable, when we invite light into the dark places of ourselves, we all have dark places of ourselves, then that's where it gets really fun. Because then back to posturing, we're posturing ourselves for the Father to do the work in us that he wants to do. Well, and I just don't, I don't think that he's necessarily waiting for an invitation these days. I mean, I don't. Yeah. I mean, just like you said, you know, he's walking around and then suddenly he's kicking up dust and he is in war mode. And I, I just, I don't think that he's, we, we've got to stop looking at him and acknowledging him as a, a gentleman that isn't going to come in and do what he wants to do. Uh, we've played games for far too long. Let, do you have anything to add before I move on? Okay. Um, did you, Bob? I just want to really affirm what grace just said who are you choosing transparency with there there needs to be a couple people in your life that that know everything and we see this in genesis 3 got himself a fig leaf she got herself some fig leaves they began to hide and some literally have a titanium fig leaf at this point meaning They don't even know they're hiding anymore because of how long they have been. So who are, who is a person? What is the father hearing? Because he gave you free will. He'll let you keep hiding if you want. I I love his kindness sometimes when he'll just blow that up for me. Like, okay, okay, I've been patient. And he just pulls the pen, throws it in the room and closes the door. Yes. (laughs) So... 
I, 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 I see this. I, 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 it always fascinates me that I'll, I'll be in the office. Here's your opportunity. I'm sort of secrecy. You now get to be real and you, you still will put on a show in order to impress. I don't think we've got to go out there and find everybody, but I hope you have a few people who know all the ins and outs of your story, your blessings and your cursings, your blessings and your cursings. That's really good. That's really good. And I think that the, the hiding piece is, is huge. It's it's really huge. It's Because I know I do it. I know that, that there are things where I'm like, ah, I don't want anyone to see this kind of thing. But it is so important. We talk about that a lot. Like, who knows who you are, right? Who's going to be able to hold you accountable to the call that's on your life? Who knows the mess? And and I think that that's it's huge. It's huge to to have people in your life that that know the mess, that know when you're spiraling, right? Um, we've got one other question. You have it up. I can. I can quickly. How much of of what people are struggling with today, as it relates to restoration, is brought on by generational influence? I, I say quite a bit. Um, I love this scripture. Didn't talk about this once or twice or three times, but maybe five to seven. It's like, hey, I'm going to get your attention here. I, yeah, let me nerd out for just a second. You, you grew up for two decades with a family. And unbeknownst to you, whether words were said, you downloaded things that came before you. Uh, I wouldn't know until much, I wouldn't know until later on in my life. Um, one of the things that I can look back at, I, I didn't know my grandfather on my dad's side. My dad had three last names growing up. So I never met my grandfather, but I do know the lineage on my mom's side. And here's what comes before me for four whole generations a deep hatred towards women, a, a deep hatred towards women. I can't use the language, but what I would hear my grandfather refer to my mom over and over and over again gets downloaded over time. And what I would, what I would figure out in my mid-20s is I have accidentally picked up a chauvinist hatred towards Eve that God would have to go on to restore something deep inside to where it's, it's, I think it's a part of my call and mission now is to call Eve out to protect her in a good way. But the origin of my story, what got downloaded to me but never told directly was this generational thing. So the, the story for me is I'm... That this, you know, this is my dad. Like, my dad uh, is on his seventh marriage, and my daughter is growing up. And I, I knew this day was coming um, where she would get old enough that she would pick up on what's going on. And so the dreaded day comes, and I, I think she must be four or five, and, and my dad was a fireman, and she would say, Dad, why does Papa Fireman talk to so and so this way? 
And it, it, time stood still as we get in my truck and we're in his driveway because I need to address my dad. Bob, who are you terrified of on this earth? My dad. Terrified. So I would go back out to my dad's house and I would say to him to the tune of, hey, um, we simply can't talk that way in front of Abby. I thought it went really well. I was so excited. Yeah, I met him in his garage. He was working on his car. This is his happy place. And so came to the happy place. He was kind that day. Um, and so I checked back in three days later. Uh, and, and here, when we talk about this generational curse, here's what I hear. Don't you ever walk in my house and tell me how to talk. I'll talk the way I want, when I want, as often as I want. And that was it. And I simply said this then, Dad, I'm sorry, but we can't keep coming out to your home anymore because I will not ever let Abby think this is how we talk to her. And I'm I'm so excited to have a a 21-year-old daughter in March. She's 20. She's reminding me that she's going to be. I'm reminding her that we're not going to be paying for anything anymore, and I'm so excited. (laughs) Um, But I'm watching a young lady who's walking through her college experience very much respecting who she is as a young lady, not putting herself in compromising situations as a, a lot of other people are in her world. And so... This is just near and dear to me because I see it. And sometimes we got to go digging a little bit in order to really understand that. You need to hear, 14 years old on, you need to hear the story of where you came from. You need to dig and, and keep turning up the dirt to find the things that you need to find. Because blessing and cursing has come with your story prior to you. You need to understand what those things are so that you can pick some things up and you can put some things down. I think what I tell parents often is, you know, I think, well, I think you said it at one point was, at the end of the day, we're going to mess our kids up. Right? I, we, as parents, as parents, if you're a parent, you have every intention to do right by your kid. You have every intention to get it right. You, you, you hopefully desire to do all the things that it is that Christian parents want to do. And here's the good news. You're going to fail. So there's less pressure on you to be perfect, right? Because that's not even a thing. You can't parent perfect. You can't walk this life out perfect. Then why would you need Jesus? And so I think what what is what's honoring to kiddos is as you share your story with them, you have the conversations about, oh, yes. This makes sense that you felt this way because this blah, 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 whatever, whatever that is in, in your generational story, as, as Bob shared about his relationship with his father, right? And 
And when you mess up, you say sorry. It's the greatest gift a parent will ever give their kid is to say sorry when they fail. Right? Yeah. That's really good. Wow. I feel loved. (laughs) So, is it ever too late? I mean, I could tell the people it's never too late, but is it ever too late to to uncover the the blessings and the cursings? <laughs> no, no, it's never, ever, ever, ever too late. And I think that when you take a step back and when you are in tune with, okay, so what is it that you're after in my life right now, God? What is it that you're after in my heart? What's it, what's it all look like? It doesn't, it doesn't matter how old you are. The invitation is still the invitation. The invitation will always be there. Uh, keep in mind that you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called a counselor. God thought you'd need therapy the rest of your life. And that's exciting. So. Uh, the counselor has come to counsel and he comes to heal and restore, not leave you as you are. That's the beauty of it. Like we get to get the process started before we get to the other side. The invitation's here. Will you receive the counselor and the work that he wants to do? On that note, it's this whole idea of pain, right? It's the idea of pain. We work so, so hard to avoid pain. The, the world is telling us a lie. You can do this and you can do this and you can do this and there's no pain. You do this, there's no pain. I, but pain is an, pain is a gift. Pain is an invitation in a way because you go back to the process of change. And, and so when you, when you look at there, there is no such, I mean, there, there's going to be pain involved either way. And one pain will bring life and one pain will bring death. And that's just a choice we get to make every day. So why do we choose the pain that brings death over and over and over and over and over again? I I just want to say, I think we said a minute ago, but I think it's what we're comfortable with. I think that's what's so wild is that uh, to put, put some things in the light, people will literally cower away. If you've been out of the light too long, if you've been in the filth too long, you're just simply comfortable there. And so that's where I say we need community. We need the Father to hold us in the light long enough for it to feel good sometimes. I want to just go back real quick, too, and say, uh, parents, I think here's the greatest thing we can do. Here's what I tell my kids. Hey, when you're 25 years old, you would really honor me by doing this. I want you to come to me and tell me everything that I did that was awesome. And I really want you to come and tell me the ways that I hurt you because I do not want you to carry that into your marriage relationship. I want you and I to heal that here so that you can move into freedom in your marriage relationship. And I think that's a scary thing, parents, because we don't want to hear how we suck. We just want to hear how we're great. (laughs) But Grace said it like you did such a good job and you did a few things wrong. It's okay. It's okay. But to release your children by taking ownership of what you did, what a gift. What a gift for them to move on with freedom um, into a time that we all know that have been married for a hot second. 
rough on the front end. Uh, so, twenty-five or getting married, whichever comes first. That okay? All right. Um, with the the blessings, the curses, the pain, uh, all the things um, that they're talking about, don't just look at that stuff and be broke open with it and then just sit there in brokenness. Like what Bob's saying, bring it to the counselor, bring it to Holy Spirit and work through it. I just want to, I just wanted to say that to make sure that you really, really take hold of that piece of advice that he gave to all of us. Don't just sit in the brokenness, take it to Holy Spirit. Cause he's so cool. Cause he's going to meet you right there. When we ask, we, we will receive, right? When you say, okay, so Jesus, show me the places in my life that I'm buying a lie or that there is a curse or whatever. I mean, you, he, you will know. And because we expect him to meet us there, we expect him to continue to flesh out our story. And so if you don't know what that looks like is, I mean, as, as you go before the, as you go before the Father and you say, oh my goodness, teach me about this. What are the places that you, that you desire to see healed in my life? You, is teach me the places that, that I don't even know that maybe aren't even on my radar. Like he's, he's going to show up in a powerful way. So good. There's an old worship song. You might know the, the name of it. Maybe it's just me, be magnified. Where it's, um, I've believed in a lie that you were unable to help me. But now, Lord, now. And then it just goes on to say, be magnified. It starts off by saying, I've made you too small in my eyes. Right? And I think that that's what, what we do over and over when, when fear wants to represent fear's narrative. Right? We shrink who God is because fear is just Fear's not nice. Fear's just not nice. And so I don't know. Final final words, and then we'll wrap up. You have any final thoughts? Be brave this week and invite people that you know you have rapport that are safe, that are um, that will do nothing but speak life and truth into you and ask them about your fig leaves. And be cur- be curious. Be just posture yourself. Posture yourself with curiosity. Be curious about the fig leaves that we all hold. Okay, that's my thought. I would just say, spend enough time with the Father that you start with His delight before you start moving into these tough places. Because if you don't know these tough places, if you don't know His delight first. You start trying to navigate these waters, it can feel cruel. But when you've known and see his face and it's just delight, then moving into scary places isn't so bad. And we said it last week. We love 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Love keeps no record of wrong because love deals with things in real time. Right? (laughs) So I, I love the challenge. Say it again one more time. Be curious about the fig leaves that you have in your life. 
and spend time asking Jesus, the Father, Holy Spirit, like, how, how are you delighting in me? What's that look like? How does that all look? Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank really you. appreciate you being here. <laughs>